Well, good morning. Everybody doing all right? Okay, good. Good to see you all there today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have uh, been to the doctor before and had a little bit of a wait in the doctor's office? Raise your hand if you've had a little bit of a wait in the doctor's office before. Okay, some of you, most of you. Uh, you know, sometimes we go to the doctor or the dentist and uh, the appointment, you know, might be at one o'clock. And uh, sure enough, one fifteen comes around. No problem. Then one twenty. Okay. One thirty. Okay. This is getting a little old. One forty-five. Two o'clock. Two thirty. Oh, the doctor will see you now. Oh, thank you so much. My appointment was at one, actually. I don't know about you, but that really, really irks me. There is something about waiting in a doctor's office or for a dentist and just sitting there for an hour or an hour and a half waiting for them to call your name. You know, I've actually heard of, of, uh, of businessmen and women who actually have attempted to bill their doctor for however long they had to wait. I'm thinking about doing that. You know, it's not a bad idea. I don't know what I'd charge yet, but I'll think about it. You know, I have to confess, there was, there was one time where I was especially, especially impatient with someone uh, that I had an appointment with. Uh, I was getting my, my cable installed, you know, the TV cable installed, uh, by, uh, by a, a company locally, and they were, they had, they had, he called me on the phone and said, uh, Mr. Anderson, yes, we will be there on Friday between the hours of 8 a.m. and 12 noon. Okay, you know, they got the four-hour lag time there. And I said, okay, tell you what, I can do that, but he's got to be there no later, he's got to be done no later than, you know, about 12.30 or so because i got to make an appointment by 1. And the, the TV, the, the phone individual said, no problem, sir. 8 a.m. to 12 noon on Friday, he will be there to install your cable. So sure enough, Friday comes. 8 a.m. I wake up, I'm ready to go. Looking out my door, you know, nobody's there. 9 a.m., no. 10 a.m., no. 11 a.m., I'm starting to get worried. 12 noon arrives. No cable guy. So, again, I have to confess, I was a little extra impatient that day. So I took out a pen and pad, and I wrote on the pen and pad, I said, uh, Dear Mr. Cable Guy, uh, I was here between 8 and 12 noon, just like my appointment said, and you did not make it. Therefore, tomorrow, I'd like you to arrive at 8 o'clock, I will be home between 8 and 12 noon to let you in. <laughs> Needless to say, he showed up at 8 a.m. the next day. <laughs> Anyhow, you know, that, that was pretty rude of me. That was, that was a little much, but I was so impatient, I was so frustrated that the appointment was not kept. He was not available. When I, when I said, I want you to be here between here and here, he didn't show up. I felt like I wasted my time. Wasted my time. You know, friends, when we're waiting in the doctor's office or the dentist or we're waiting for the cable guy to come to our door, it's very, very often the case that they don't make the appointment. That they're somehow late, that we end up waiting for hours before we can actually see the doctor or get our cable installed. Sometimes they're just late and not available. But friends, today I want to tell you about something that's always available. This morning, as we study the Word of God today, I want to tell you something that is always on time, 
I want to tell you about something that is always accessible. I want to tell you about an appointment that God declares to us in His Word that He always, always keeps. An appointment that is never tardy. That is the appointment of God's grace. God's grace, friends, the title of my message today, God's grace is available today. It is available today. I'm not only talking about the grace that saves us eternally, I'm also talking about the grace of God that sustains our very lives as we live in our day-to-day lives. It is always available. It is an appointment God always keeps, always accessible, on time. You can count on it every time. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are finishing up our study in the book of 1 Peter. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're finishing this up. You know, we in our church, we, we have a, a heritage where we go through the, the Bible verse by verse. We teach the Word of God. We don't shy away from any passage. And today we're finishing up 1 Peter. Uh, so we should have a sense of accomplishment here that we've gotten through this book. And today, this, this last section is going to be so critical as we finish the letter to see how Peter wants to leave a final impression to the readers of Asia Minor to whom he was writing in the first century. So let's take a look. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 5. We're actually going to begin in the middle of verse 5, that little Old Testament quotation there, but we're going to be keeping it in context and then elaborating on it. So take a look. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to read about how God's grace is always accessible. 1 Peter 5, 5-14. He says this, Yes, and all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, O Lord, we worship You this day. Father, we set aside uh, this Sunday to come together as a family, a family of believers in Your Son, Jesus Christ. And we lift up Your name. Father, today we also look into Your Word and we ask Your Spirit to especially guide us as we seek to, to pull the truth of Your Word out from the pages of Scripture and apply them to our lives. Father, today, as we learn about Your 
accessible grace, I pray that each and every individual here would recognize how readily available Your grace is to each one of us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take a look at verse 5. Peter says this, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace, gives grace to the humble. Here, friends, Peter is giving instructions to the church family in about 63 A.D., to a region known as Asia Minor. And Peter is writing to a variety of churches in this region to the north of the Mediterranean Sea. And he's urging the churches of Asia Minor in the face of terrible persecution and suffering that they are experiencing and are about to experience, in the face of this suffering and this time of trial and testing, he says, I want you as a family to conduct yourselves well among one another. As a family, I want you to mutually submit to one another. As a family, I want you to be clothed. Wrap yourselves in humility. As you interact with one another in the family of God, amidst a hostile world around you, I want you folks, Peter says, I want you to put on humility. To show mutual Love and respect and submission toward one another. Build up the family of God. And Peter goes on to give a very good reason why they should exhibit this this submissive attitude. Why they should exhibit this humility. He goes on to say this, "For, For the reason I do this is for God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter here is loosely quoting an Old Testament proverb, Proverbs 3.34. As he's finishing up this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, to the Christians there, he's going to use this Old Testament quotation and expand on it. He's going to use this text, written down by Solomon over a thousand years before Peter is writing, and he is going to take this quotation and elaborate on it. In particular... He's going to elaborate on the phrase, God gives grace. God gives grace to the humble. Take a look at how Peter is going to elaborate on this uh, question here. So the question that we want to find out today is this. In what ways does God give grace? In what ways does God give grace? We're going to be returning to this question shortly. But first, let's go to verse 6. Verse 6 says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Now Peter here is continuing the theme of humility in the church. He's urging them to show humility. And he actually explains how that humility can be carried out. The means by which We exhibit humility. One of the ways we exhibit humility in the church is by casting all of our cares upon Him. Casting all of our cares upon God. What does it mean to cast our cares upon God? It means to give your worries, give your problems, give your struggles, your trials and temptations, give every care of life over to the Lord. It means to go to God in prayer. 
as we did this morning, and ask Him for help. Ask Him to help us in our situations of life, whether we're sick, whether we're impoverished, whether we're looking for uh, a better livelihood, uh, maybe a better job, or whether we're looking for restoration in our family relationships, whether we're looking to, to get rid of an addiction in our lives. We're to show dependence, utter dependence, upon God to see us through difficult circumstances. You know, friends, the Scriptures attest to casting your cares upon the Lord time and time again. David attests to it. Notice what David says in Psalm 55.22. He says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Jesus spoke very often of casting our cares, throwing our burdens before Him. Notice what He says in Matthew 11. He says, Come to Me. Come to Me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. And Paul attested to this. He attested to the dependence that we are to show upon God. Notice what he says in Philippians 4. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Friends, casting our cares upon the Lord means showing Him utter dependence. And you know, so often we try, uh, we try to avoid casting our cares upon the Lord, I think. Uh, I know in my own life, I, I, I personally consider myself uh, a rather independent individual. My wife can probably attest to that. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to, to, uh, to, to showcase that I'm weak in something. You know, when my wife uh, showed me up on the, on the, uh, in skiing a couple weeks ago when she was a better skier than me, boy, uh, that was a little bit of humble pie that I had to eat for a while. Um, I don't like to show my weakness, my dependence, and yet that's exactly what God asks us to do. Let me, let me share with you a simple illustration. Uh, one of the things that, uh, in, in our family, one of the things that happens time and time again is we, we lose our keys. We lose our keys all the time. Uh, I, I especially, Casey does from time to time, but we'll, I'll misplace my keys. And, okay, and then I realize that, okay, I've misplaced my keys. Well, my reaction is this. Where are my keys? I need them right now. We gotta go. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta get to church or we gotta go there or we gotta go here. And I'm just kinda, I get agitated so quickly over some dumb keys. And you know what my wife does? My wife, I'll tell you, time and time again, time and time again, when we lose our keys, this is what she does. She sees me, you know, kind of having a little uh, panic attack. And she quietly, uh, you know, steps aside and goes off on the couch or away from me and she prays. My wife prays. She prays and she says, Lord, this is a little tiny request. This is rather insignificant. My my, my husband's having, you know, a little panic attack. We've lost our keys. And she asks the Lord, can you help us find our keys? Because we're going to be late and and we we don't want to be late to this appointment. Can you, Lord, please help us as we look for our keys? Friends, I cannot count. I cannot count how many times my wife has prayed that and before she says amen, I went, there they are. 
I cannot count how many times that's happened. My wife prays a, a demonstration of dependence on the Lord, and the Lord answers the prayer. Now, some of you might say, well, that's just happenstance. That's just coincidence. You know what? That's just, you know, it just happens to be that case. It just happened to be that you found your keys as she was praying. Friends, this has happened dozens upon dozens upon dozens of times. My wife, for me, is my example to follow in showing dependence upon the Lord. Even in the simplest of ways, losing your keys. How pathetic is that? And yet, she showcases to to the Lord. She says, you know what, God, we can't find these and we just want your help. We just want your help. And the Lord answers that prayer. Friends, I say this, I I give this illustration, number one, to point out that uh, that I I need work in this department. I need work in this department. I need to cast my cares before the Lord more and more. I don't do it enough. And I urge all of you, whether it's a simple matter, losing your keys, whether it's a great deal, you're out of work, you need a new home, you, need, you, need to, you, have, you have a broken family relationship, whether it's small or great, put your cares before the Lord. Ask Him. Ask Him for help. And I think you'll be surprised how the Lord answers those prayers. Now, in returning to our question, Our question of the hour is this. In what ways does God give grace? In what ways does God give grace? Now pay close attention to verse 6. He says, if we humble ourselves, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that, in other words, this is what will transpire. That He, that is God, may exalt you, exalt you in due time. Friends, the first way that God gives us grace is that God exalts the humble in due time. God exalts the humble in due time according to verse 6. And, and this is a recurring theme throughout the book of 1 Peter. Time and time again, Peter says, show humility, show faithfulness, show dependence on the Lord, stay with Him, and you will be exalted in the kingdom to come. Show humility. Show the Lord your fidelity toward Him. Showcase your dependence to Him. And in due time, when this life is over and the kingdom of God comes, you'll be exalted. That is to say, you will receive a special measure of glory and honor in the kingdom of God. That's grace. That's a gift. That's God's way of showcasing His grace toward us. In verse 5, when we see when we see Peter saying that God gives grace to the humble, and when he says in verse 6 that the humble receive exaltation, he's continuing that theme, friends. He's saying this is the grace that is shown to you if you exhibit humility. Now, not only is there grace given to those who express humility, but there's also grace given to us in our day-to-day lives. At the end of verse 6, you notice it says very clearly, excuse me, at the end of verse 7, he says, for he cares for you. He cares for you. And that's the second way God showcases His grace toward us. Friends, we're to lay our burdens before the Lord. Why? Because we know already that He cares for us. Right now, today, He is caring for you. That is to say, He cares for your cares. He cares for what you're concerned with. He cares for what your trials are. For how you're suffering. 
for what your requests are in your day-to-day lives. A second way that God gives grace to all of us is that He cares for us. He cares for our cares. Let's move on. Moving to verse 8. Now Peter's going to switch gears a little bit. But we're going to see him continuing the theme of grace even in the midst of what we see in verse 8. Take a look at verse 8. He says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world friends there are two very clear commands in verse 8 be sober and be vigilant be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour That word sober there means self-controlled. Exhibit self-control. Which I might add is very much continuing, continuing the theme of humility and mutual submission in the church. Demonstrate self-control. This verb is used two other times in 1 Peter. Both of which, both of the other instances of this verb in the letter uh, demonstrate the, the desire that Peter has for the people to show control in the face of suffering. Show control in the face of evil. Show control when sin and temptation come your way. And so again in verse 8, we see the same theme. Show control in the midst of the wiles of the devil. Be vigilant. That is to say, be watchful. Be alert. Be on guard. Why do we need to be on guard? Because the devil is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, I, I was uh, th- this this verse here is unlike any other verse in Scripture. As a matter of fact, it, it, with respect to uh, the way in which Peter characterizes uh, Satan, um, I think I, I would speculate that um, that Peter's comment here has a lot to do with what Jesus said to Peter over in Luke 22. And I don't have this on the screen. But in Luke 22, Jesus is quoted as saying to Peter, uh, who was also known as Simon, He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked of you that he may sift you as wheat. In Luke 22, Jesus said to, to Peter, He said, Simon, Simon, do you know that Satan has asked about you that he may sift you as wheat? I I would speculate that that comment stuck with Peter for a long time. I know that comment would stick with me for a long time. If I was told that Satan had particularly asked of me, gone to the Lord and said, "I I want to sift like wheat this individual. I want to pick this person apart. I want to tear them to shreds. Luke 22, it says that Satan particularly asked to sift Peter as wheat. And thus Peter says in his letter, he says, hey, Satan's like a devouring lion. He's looking to tear us apart. He's looking to tear this family apart, this church. Every day, every day he is looking to tear this church apart. Every day he's looking to tear you away from your Lord. Every day He's looking to tear you away from your spouse. 
Every day he's looking to devour your relationship with your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors. Friends, sin is real. It's not, it's not some facade. Sin, evil, temptation. What Satan throws our way is real. And he's looking to devour us. He's looking to destroy this church, our family, our friends. He's looking to, to destroy it all. He's looking to crush our very faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, you've got to be sober. You've got to be vigilant. Exhibit self-control and be alert. Realize that this is real. And friends, one of the clear ways Peter offers to help us in the midst of Satan's devouring tactics, one of the clear ways that Peter says, hey, this is how you can be helped, take a look at verse 9. He says, resist him. Resist him. How? By being steadfast in the faith. Resist him by being steadfast in the faith, knowing this. Look at this. Knowing that the same sufferings, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist him. Another command. How do we resist him? By showcasing our steadfastness in the faith. And one of the ways in which we demonstrate our stability in the faith, one of the ways in which we demonstrate how established and grounded we are is in the knowledge that there are others with us in this battle. I submit to you that the third way in which God showcases grace to all Christians is this, that God gives us fellowship with others who share in our sufferings. God gives us fellowship with others who share in our sufferings. Peter says, know this. As you're resisting Satan, so also you have a family around you. You have brothers and sisters out in the world, in other churches, who are battling this same fight with you. We're in this together, Peter says. This is a grace that God has given us. The knowledge that there are others with us in this fight. You know, I can't, I can't stress... Uh, how important this church family has been to Casey and I in our lives. Our friends in this church, the relationships that we have developed here, the relationship we have with the staff, with the elders, with, with those of you who, who have just welcomed us into your homes and called us your friends, you are helping our family resist the devil and grow in the Lord. That's what you're doing. Every time you, you, you have somebody over for dinner, share a meal with them. Every time you, you spend quality time with someone else in the church and you, and you just show them love and care and concern. Every time we go over to the mall after church like so many of us do and we all, we all huddle together in the middle and just share a meal together, friends, together we are growing in the Lord and resisting the devil. That is what fellowship does. That is what the knowledge of others, brothers and sisters, in that same battle, that's what it does. It helps us. It sustains us amidst that battle. And I urge you today, uh, I I think that by and large, most of us here uh, consider this our family, this church our family. 
We, we value it. We, we invite, as I said, we invite our friends over for dinner. We, we fully participate with one another. But I think there are others of us that, that, that stay on the fringe. That, that just show up on Sunday and, you know, well, I, I check off church, you know? Friends, that is not what sharing in the sufferings of others is all about. This church family, all of us, need to come together as a family and recognize that we're in this together. We need to be supporting one another, loving one another, caring for one another. And I urge you, if, if, if you're still on the fringe, get involved. Get involved in this church family because I know there are people here who, who love you and who want to care for you. And when you're in that time of trial and testing, I, I guarantee you it is the people in this church who will be the first to say, what can I do for you? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can we get through this time together? Verse 10. Peter says this. Notice how he characterizes God, friends. He says, But may the God of all grace, may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice how Peter describes God. He's the God of all grace. The giver of grace. As he said in verse 5, Peter offers a prayer of blessing in verse 10. He reminds his readers that yet again, suffering, friends, is a part of this earthly existence. You can't avoid it. You can't avoid the fact that Satan is going to do all he can to try and break your relationship with, with your Lord and your family and your friends. He reminds them yet again that suffering is going to come. He says, after you've suffered a while, keep in mind it's going to happen. But he goes on in verse 10 to make a petition to God. A petition to God for grace to be shown to the believers in Asia Minor. He petitions that grace would be shown to them. But this is not a wishful prayer, friends. Peter's not making this request with uncertainty. He's not making this request wondering whether God will honor it. No, the blessings that Peter asks God to give to the Christians in Asia Minor are the same blessings that God has already promised to give to those who are His children. I say again, the blessings that Peter asks God to give to the Christians of Asia Minor are the same blessings that God in 1 Peter and in all of Scripture has already promised to give to all who are His children. Notice what he says. He says, May the God of all grace perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. The word perfect there actually has the idea of uh, mending the nets. In, in, it, was a, it was a word used a lot of times in the, uh, uh, among fishermen of the first century. And when they would speak of, of the Greek word which meant to perfect, they meant to say, I need to, to mend my net, to get it ready, to, to make it complete such that it can be a whole net that can catch all the fish that I seek to catch. Perfect the net. Mend the net. He says, may God establish you. That is to say, ground you in truth. That you may stand your ground amidst sin and evil. May He strengthen you. Give you might. Give you resolve. And may He settle you. That is to say, give you that firm, firm 
foundation that you seek. Friends, these verbs, all four of them, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle, these are all given in the future tense in Greek. That is to say, these are blessings that Peter's asking God to give them that these Christians will in fact one day receive in the kingdom to come. These are blessings. Peter's asking, he's, he's saying, God, give this to them. And God has promised, in fact, in His Word, that these qualities, perfection, establishing, strengthening, settling, these characteristics, these attributes will, in fact, be given to all who are His children by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are things that you and I will receive one day. We will experience perfection. That is to say, we will be fully mature, fully complete. And friends, this brings us, uh, this brings us to our fourth and final way in which God gives grace. The fourth way God gives grace is God will fully mature us in due time. He will fully mature us in due time, according to verse 10. Now take a look at those four uh, as they're sitting up there on the screen. Uh, notice Peter's style is not without coincidence here. Notice numbers... Not, they're not numbered, excuse me. Notice the top and bottom. They have to do with the future, don't they? In due time, Peter says, the humble will be lifted up. In due time, Peter says, all God's children will be perfected, established, strengthened, settled. They'll be made mature and complete in the kingdom to come. And in the middle, the second and third promises of grace. He says, God cares for you. He cares for your cares. He cares for your struggles and your trials. And moreover, He gives us fellowship with one another. He gives us the knowledge that, that there are others with us in this battle. Peter goes from future grace to present grace to future grace. This is the way in which God's grace is given to the Christians in Asia Minor and so also given to those of us who sit here today at Coast Bible Church. Now, there's a caveat to all this grace. Friends, there's, 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 a, there's a great caveat to all of this grace. The caveat to receiving these blessings of God's grace are contingent upon receiving Christ in faith. Peter says all these blessings of grace, all of these blessings of grace, take a look at verse 10, are very calling unto eternal glory are made possible by Christ Jesus. All of the blessings of grace are made possible because of what Jesus Christ did. So I, I ask you very clearly today, if you're looking for God's grace in your life, if you are looking for God to show favor upon you, if you're looking for His care, His concern, if you're looking for the fellowship with other saints who are in this battle together with you, if you're looking for exaltation in the kingdom to come, if you're looking to be mature and complete, if you notice that there's something lacking in my life today, there's one condition. There's one thing that you must do before all of this grace is showered upon you. And that is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for everlasting life. The caveat to God's grace begins and ends with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so I ask you today, have you believed in Jesus Christ for everlasting life? Is Jesus your Lord? Is He the Savior of the world? Are you in fact looking upon Him and saying, yes, in fact, Jesus Christ is God's Son, the Savior, the giver of eternal life? Friends, until you believe that, until you trust that truth, until you exhibit faith in Jesus Christ, the blessings that I've been speaking of are not going to be available. It is contingent upon us expressing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I urge you, those of you who may not know Jesus Christ today, believe in Him. Believe in Him. Receive everlasting life and receive a showering of God's blessing upon your life. Verse 12. We're concluding the letter now. And Peter gives some final concluding remarks. He says this in verse 12. He says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Peter goes on to give two clear purposes that explain why Peter sent this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. He says, I sent this to you exhorting you. That is to say, encouraging you. Urging you. Asking you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Asking you to remain firm in your commitment amidst trials and suffering. Remain firm in your faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. I exhorted you by this letter. And secondly, Peter says, I testified about something in this letter. I declared something to you in this letter. And what I declared to you is this. I declared to you the true grace of God in which you stand. Friends, Peter's not just speaking of the grace of God that saves us eternally. He is speaking about that in, in part. He's saying the true grace of God in which you stand is that same grace that's going to bring you and usher you into the kingdom of God in the life to come. But that's not all. The true grace of God that Peter was declaring to them also included the present sustenance that the Lord provides to you and I in our day-to-day lives right now. Cares for us. Gives us fellowship with others that can help us in this time of trial. There is grace to get into the kingdom of God. There is grace to live this present earthly life. And friends, there is grace given to those who exhibit faithfulness on earth, who show the Lord honor and glory on earth, who showcase their their faithfulness to the Lord while on earth, and they receive a final grace, exaltation in the kingdom to come. The true grace of God. Not only entering the kingdom, but living our earthly lives and being exalted, that is to say, given special honor and special glory in the kingdom to come. Peter has declared the true grace of God. Notice uh, that he says the term by Sylvanus. Now, uh, just by way of uh, understanding what he means by this, the the term by Sylvanus, uh, most agree this person is the same individual also known as Silas in uh, the book of Acts in particular. Uh, Silas was a companion of Paul and also a companion of Peter, as we see here. 
And the word by there indicates one of two things, or both of two things. It can mean that Silas physically wrote the letter as Peter dictated it, or it can mean that Silas physically delivered the letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And really, it's very, very difficult to ascertain which of those is the case. It could be both the case. It could be that Silas wrote the letter and he delivered the letter, or it could be one of those two. In any event, Peter says that Silas, Silvanus, was my companion as I wrote this letter to you. And notice what he says in verse 13. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Let's start with the end there. Mark, at the end of verse 13, is also a well-known Bible character by the name of John Mark, also a companion of Paul's and of Peter's. He was the cousin of Barnabas. And Mark is also most likely the... Mark, who penned the Gospel of Mark, the second Gospel in your New Testament. So the one that Peter is making mention of here is the same one who penned the Gospel of Mark, which most would agree Peter told to him, and he, John Mark, wrote the Gospel of Mark. So it seems to me that, uh, that, John, that Peter and Mark had a special relationship with one another, and uh, Mark was a companion with Peter there. But friends, we've got a, we've got a, a big uh, uh, elephant in the room. And that is the phrase, she who is in Babylon. Some of you are probably looking at that a little awkwardly, saying, what does that mean? What does that mean, she who is in Babylon? Who is she and what is Babylon? Friends, there is good reason to believe that Peter is sending greetings from the church in Rome by this statement. There's good reason to believe that Peter is sending greetings from his location and the church in the city of Rome. You say, why Rome? Most likely, due to the threat of persecution, Peter is intentionally disguising his location and his church's location. In case the letter falls into the wrong hands, he wants to be sure that his church, his fellowship, is able to avoid severe, severe persecution from the the Roman government, perhaps. That could be an option. But really, what is... What is compelling about Babylon being actually Rome is this. The, excuse me, what is compelling about the word she there being a church and not a female individual is this. The Greek word for church is the word ekklesia, which is a feminine word. And the word she there is, of course, in feminine. If you notice how Paul describes the church in Ephesians 5, you'll see the connection. Paul says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her, that is the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So we see here that she is very likely a church and not a female individual that that Peter is speaking of. You say, well, wait a minute, what about this Babylon meaning Rome? Take a look at the map uh, behind me regarding the locations that we've been dealing with throughout this this letter. Uh, A little difficult to read there. Sorry about that. Peter was from, uh, Peter really began his ministry in Jerusalem, which is in yellow, down in the bottom uh, bottom right-hand corner of the Mediterranean Sea. The location that Peter, uh, that we're submitting to you is in, Red, Rome, all the way to the left. Babylon, if he were in fact in Babylon, it would be all the way to the right in blue. 
And the location of the letter, the occasion of the letter to Asia Minor is in green. That's the location of where he's writing. Uh, I want to just say very clearly, Babylon, all the way in blue there to the right, in the far east, was not, I repeat, was not a focus of first century Christian missions. It was a rather insignificant city by that time. Uh, it is very, very unlikely that Peter would have traveled to Babylon. In fact, Peter and Paul, most all of their journeys were up through the Mediterranean, through Asia Minor and on into Rome. That was the very common route taken by first century Christian missionaries. That is why it is very likely that Babylon here is not physical Babylon. But I want to make one final point, And this, friends, is for me the clincher. Why does Peter mean Rome and not Babylon? This. Peter desires to draw a comparison between the suffering and persecution of Christians in the first century A.D. with the suffering and persecution of the Jews in the Babylonian exile of 586 B.C. Those of you who are history buffs, you will recall that Babylon, that is to say the nation of Babylon, inflicted serious suffering and torment upon the Israelites of the 7th and 6th century B.C. So much suffering and torment that the entire nation of Judah was uprooted and taken to Babylon. They were in exile. They were taken from their cities and towns and they were taken to a pagan nation and remained there for many, many years until the Persians came and defeated Babylon. Friends, what Peter is saying today, when he says, she who is in Babylon greets you, he's saying the church in Rome, my church, the same church that is undergoing the same kind of suffering and persecution that the Jews experienced of the 6th century, yes, that same church sends you greetings. He's saying yet again, know that the sufferings that you are experiencing are being also experienced by your brotherhood around the world. And friends, like the struggles of the Israelites in the 6th century B.C., so also our struggles may very well be like that of the Babylonian exile. She who is in Babylon greets you. Friends, that was, that was a code word for, hey, suffering is coming. Be ready, be alert, be prepared for it. And finally, verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you. All who are in Christ Jesus, amen. Notice how he ends with peace. His final blessing to the church is, may you have peace in the midst of terrible suffering, verbal abuse and mockery, in the midst of trials and tribulations, both now and coming soon. May God give you peace. May you have peace in your hearts. Amen. Let it be so, he says. You know, I want to leave you with some final thoughts here today. God's grace, friends, is available today. I want to say that very clearly. God's grace is available right now. That was Peter's message to the church in Asia Minor as he concludes his letter. We receive God's grace when we put our faith in Jesus Christ for everlasting life. We receive it then. We also receive God's grace as we experience trials and sufferings on earth. God's grace is, is given to us in the midst of those times. And friends, we will receive more of it in the kingdom of God when Christians are perfected and the humble 
receive special exaltation. Not only are we saved by God's grace, but we are sustained by it. And we will be exalted by it as well if we remain humble and faithful. Friends, uh, as, as we finish up this book too, I want to emphasize that these, especially 2 and 3, this is the theme of 1 Peter. I can't sum up 1 Peter any better than 2 and 3 up above me. I cannot sum it up any better. God's grace is, is there with you as you suffer. You're not alone. You have a family of, uh, a family of Christians around you. God's grace is being given to you in this time. And if you remain faithful, if you stay true, then in the end, not only will all Christians be perfected, but you who are humble and faithful to the Lord, you will be given special honor. So stay the course. Stay the course and receive that special exaltation in the kingdom of God. Friends, God's grace is readily, readily available today. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, O Lord, I thank You so much that Your grace is given to us in such a manifold way. Father, there is such a variety of ways in which Your grace is expressed to us. And Lord, we recognize that we don't deserve this grace. We surely do not deserve the grace exhibited by Your Son, Jesus Christ who went to the cross on behalf of our sins and paid an eternal debt that was ours. Father, we can never, ever express to You, nor can we ever repay back to You for that special, special expression of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for that, Lord. And Father, we thank You for the present grace You give to us in times of suffering and trial. Father, we thank You for the future grace that You're going to show to all believers and especially to those who have been faithful to You. Lord, there is good reason to trust You. There's good reason to trust Your Word. 